Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. If you're new here at ECC, my name is Josiah. I'm our director of university ministries here at the church. You heard John mention Connection. That's our college ministry. We meet on Sunday nights at 6 out in the gathering space, and we would love to have you join us. I know that we have a lot of parents with us this weekend visiting in town for maybe even the first time uh, visiting your freshmen and finding out about all the exciting things they've had going on. We're so happy you're here with us. I want to share a story with you. It was only 10 years ago myself, actually, that I was a sophomore in college, a new transfer student on the campus of Grove City College in western Pennsylvania. And I was eager to make friends. And I found myself at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes picnic. And if I'm being completely honest, I have to tell you, there's a particular young lady there I had an eye out to fellowship with. And so here I was at this picnic, and it wasn't anything that I expected to come, but in the middle of a game of wiffle ball, I met another young athlete who would one day become my wife, Brittany. And it was on that day that we began a friendship. And over the next year, we built this friendship. My wife likes to say that we were high friends, uh, because evidently to her, that's what our our conversations consisted of. Uh, Just saying hi. But it was the next fall, I said, hey, girl. Um, It was the next fall that we actually had a break in our schedules at the same time, and we had lunch together with some other friends from the track team that we were on. And I remember a Friday night in November of my junior year of college when we had known each other for about a year, and I was going down to Pittsburgh, the biggest city near uh, where my small college was, with some buddies. And we're in the car, and one of my buddies turned to me and he said, hey, so when are you finally going to ask out Brittany Moore? 
And I swear, a light bulb turned on in my head and switches connected that had never connected before. And my eyes were opened that this girl who was a high friend of mine, uh, who I never had thought of for some reason in that way, oh my gosh, like all the boxes are checked. Like, what have I been thinking? I better ask her out right now. And uh, I was able to wait two days before I asked her out. And, uh, and we went out that following week, the Thursday before Thanksgiving break. And I remember coming back to my dorm room and telling my friend who gave me this suggestion, I said to him, man, as long as she'll go out with me, I'm going to keep going out with her. And... Uh, Six and a half years into marriage, it's still working. So uh, I'm very thankful. I share this story to give you an example of a moment that I never saw coming, but a moment that is really endured. And we've all had experiences like that, times in our life or words that were spoken that have stuck with us. We've all had these defining moments. I want to share with you another defining moment for us came in the late spring of 2012. Brittany and I were living in Johnson City, Tennessee, and I was coaching track and field at a small college, and I was also working at a running shoe store. And these were meaningful jobs. I really valued the opportunities they gave me to connect with people in a relationship and share my faith in Christ. But God had put a call on my heart. This desire was pulling me to work in ministry through the local church. And so I felt that pull, but Brittany and I, we had no idea what the next step should be. I remember just feeling like God needed to connect more dots. I knew that I wanted to be in ministry, but I sure knew that I didn't want to go to seminary full-time. More school was not what I was eager for. Uh, but here's the downside. Most of the jobs I felt most interested in required some seminary education. And so here Brittany and I were living in Tennessee for about a year, just hoping and waiting and praying that God would connect those dots, that he would give us some direction. And I remember coming from coming home from work, on one afternoon, after a long, ordinary day and receiving a phone call from a ministry acquaintance from whom I had not heard in over a year, and he asked me, are you still thinking about ministry? And I said to him, I am, and I'm actually trying to think about it a lot less or I'll drive myself crazy. And he said, well, I know someone you need to talk to. He's in Bloomington, Indiana at a church called Evangelical Community Church, and his name's Bob Whitaker. And so now three and a half years later, <laughs> that was another defining moment in my life. It's one that I will never forget. I'll never forget it. And so this story that we just heard about the calling of Peter, this was a defining moment in Peter's life. Something big was happening here, and Peter never saw it coming. But here's the thing. This wasn't just a defining moment for Peter. What happened on that day would give a sense of understanding of who we are today as Peter's children of faith. It would give us a sense of identity and a sense of purpose as we look to what it means to be disciples of Christ in our own lives. And so we see in this story Jesus seeking out an uneducated young fisherman in the midst of his ordinary life. No formal religious training. And calling him straight into the front lines of the greatest story ever told. The story of the God who created the universe drawing people to himself in relationship by grace and making them partners in his heavenly mission. And so Jesus 
he came to Peter and opened his eyes of faith in their divinely orchestrated interaction. And he spoke to him a series of words that you may know well that would change his life forever. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so it's my hope that as we explore this story, that God's spirit will give us a fresh vision of what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And that even though many of us have heard this story probably a hundred times, that God would come to us in a fresh way this morning and open our eyes to see what it means to be his disciples and embrace his call in our lives. And so let's pray about that together now. Father God, we come here this morning and uh, it's easy to be distracted by busyness. Um, God, I know that sometimes I need to be stirred up in my heart um, by your words of truth. And we pray that this morning you would do just that, that you would speak to us, that your spirit would be present in this place, that you'd minister to us through your spirit, that we might be transformed by your word and equipped for lives of service in response to the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so when we look at the biography of Simon Peter leading up to this moment, I have to mention that he would not likely have been anyone's top choice as who would go first in the Messiah's discipleship draft. Uh, Simon Peter was just another fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. The Lake of Gennesaret, the title you see used in this text, was named after a town on the northwestern border, Gennesaret. And so Luke was the only one who used that title, but we know it as the Sea of Galilee. And Peter connected uh, with his brother Andrew, and these two men conducted their business there on the lake, along with another set of brothers, James and John. And these guys were all from the area around a town called Bethsaida, right there at the northern tip of the lake, which means in Hebrew, house of fish, or fish house. And so I'm no Hebrew scholar myself, but I suspect that Rob Seda must mean shack of fish in Hebrew, or fish shack, uh, that's the only logical connection I can make in my mind because Rob is our youth minister here at ECC. So Rob Seda, fish shack. Uh, now you all know Hebrew. And so Peter and Andrew, these men were also disciples of John the Baptist. And Andrew had an encounter with John the Baptist that Bob mentioned, our senior pastor, in our first message in this Encounters with Jesus series. And you may remember it. Andrew was with John the Baptist and several of John's other disciples when John saw Jesus walk by and he said to them, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Andrew spent some time with Jesus that day and walked away from that moment absolutely convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. And Peter knew about Andrew's experience. But neither of these brothers, along with their contemporaries, had a full understanding of who Jesus was. They expected the Messiah to be a political deliverer, but certainly not God. And interestingly, James and Peter had actually met prior to this moment as well. And we can read about that in Luke chapter 4, which tells the story of Jesus coming to Peter's house to heal Peter's mother-in-law. It's an amazing story. She had a high fever and Jesus came and healed her. She immediately walked, uh, got up and walked. And it was just miraculous. She got up and said, uh, Peter, here's how you need to be raising your children. Here's how you need to manage your finances. And that's not what happened, but that's what mother-in-laws do sometimes. Um, yesterday was my mother-in-law's birthday. She's a wonderful lady, and so I'm sorry for making that joke to her. <laughs> and so 
Here they are on this particular day that our story takes place. They're at the sea, and Peter and his crew are wrapping up a long, unsuccessful night of fishing. And we all know that work wears you out twice as much when it's not productive, right? These guys had to be itching to go home, but there's one last job to take care of before they leave, and it's cleaning their nets. The worst job of all, these things soaked in salt water and carried fish. That is a slimy and smelly combination. That had to be the worst part of their job, but they have to do it, and so they're washing their nets. They eventually finish washing, and Peter's hauling some nets back over to the boat when his path intersects with Jesus. And Jesus is here at the lake. He's down by the water's edge where a gathering of people have assembled to hear him teach the word of God. And so we need to know Jesus had been traveling all throughout the region of Galilee, teaching, and people everywhere he went wanted to see what the hype was about. No doubt many of them wanted to see one of those infamous miracles that were spreading around. And so Jesus is here teaching, but the people are just pressing in on him at the water's edge. They can't get close enough. And so Jesus takes a step back out into a boat, strategically positioned there, one of the two empty fishing boats right along the shore, and the one that just so happened to belong to Peter. And what a coincidence this is. Uh, Spoiler alert, it's no coincidence. Peter drags his net back over the boat, and Jesus asks him to put out a little bit from shore so he can use the boat as a teaching platform and gain a little bit of space. And so Peter was surely thinking that Jesus' teaching was the main event for the day. But when Jesus concludes, he turns to him and rather bluntly suggests this idea of another fishing trip. He says, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Peter was definitely less than enthusiastic about this, and he had good reasons. I mean, he just finished cleaning his nets. Who wants to do that twice, right? Um, And Peter knew fishing. They'd already been out on the lake at night fishing, and everyone who knows anything about fishing knows that night's the best time to pull in a catch. And so if these experienced career fishermen had no luck at night, why should they take a carpenter's advice to try again during the day? Uh, It's not going to happen. Peter was less than thrilled with going back out. But here's what Peter knew. He knew that Jesus was no ordinary carpenter. There was an authority in Jesus' words and actions unlike anyone Peter had met before, and he couldn't walk away from the command even if he was less than thrilled with what it entailed. And so he says to Jesus, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And you all know what happens next. It's an absolute miracle. Peter and his men and Jesus, they go out to the deep water. They let down the nets and the nets overflow. They catch more fish than the nets could even hold. Peter had to call for the help of the other boat and his crew, even to get these things on board. And once they get them on board, the boats start to sink because there are so many fish. It's amazing. And so Peter knew fishing. He knew fishing And he also knew darn well that what had just happened here had to be an act of God. That was really the only reasonable explanation. And Peter is floored by what he's just experienced. He falls to his knees before Christ and yells, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He's glimpsed just the tip of the iceberg of God's holiness and power. And it's more than he can take. He's so full of awe and reverence from this miracle that he feels like he can't even be in Christ's presence. 
Peter knows how far he is from God's holiness, how unworthy he is of God's power being poured out in his life. And so he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. But Christ doesn't leave him alone. He doesn't go away. Instead, he relieves Peter's mind of fear. He tells him, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. The words Christ speaks here are in the present tense and they're imperative. So essentially what Jesus is saying to Peter is this, stop being afraid in this moment. Stop being afraid in this moment. Why? Not because Peter isn't really that much of a sinner and not because God really isn't all that holy. Stop being afraid because in this moment, something new is happening. In Jesus Christ, the power of heaven has come to earth. The gates of heaven are opening wide and God of the universe is inviting Peter and anyone else who would look to Christ in faith to a life and relationship with him based on his provision of grace. And so the miracle Peter just saw, this isn't a one-time thing. This would be the new norm. Jesus spoke to Peter saying, from now on, you will catch men. And so Christ invited him into his kingdom mission. And from here on out, his life would be defined by God's grace and provision apart from his own deserving. And so the men pulled their boats up onto shore. They left everything and they followed Jesus. Imagine that most successful day of their careers. They left it all without a second's hesitation. Evidently, the success of their catch wasn't as important to them as what they'd learned about Jesus through this. This was a defining moment in Peter's life. His journey from here certainly wouldn't be comfortable, and we know it would not be without error, but Peter would be the rock on which Christ would choose to build his church. Peter would make mistakes. He would make numerous mistakes, actually, and some of them would be really big. But God's grace in his life would be sufficient and it would be constant. Peter's walk would be one of faith and repentance, empowered by the Spirit to carry out the mission Christ called him to that day on the lake. And God would make him an effective fisher of men. You may remember in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit comes in power, the onlookers are wondering what's going on. Peter gets up, he preaches, he proclaims them the good news. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to earth. He died a death on the cross to pay the penalty for men's sin, and he rose victorious from the grave that those who trust him in faith might have everlasting life. 3,000 people heard that message and came to faith in one day. That is a heck of a catch. That's a lot more impressive to me than the fish. And so I want to offer you three takeaways from Peter's story. Last week, you may have been here to hear Pastor Bob talk about Zacchaeus' story, the Sunday school famous divine appointment with Jesus. And it's clear that this moment is that for Peter. This is Peter's divine appointment. God had been working in his life, and this was the time he chose to call Peter as a disciple. The events leading up to this moment, they weren't mere coincidence. His brother Andrew's interaction with Jesus and then sharing with Peter about that experience. Jesus seeing, uh, pardon me, Peter seeing Jesus come to his home and heal his mother-in-law of the high fever. And now his boat just so happening to be laid up at that spot on the lake where Jesus came to teach. All these events were laying the foundation for this moment. God was working 
in Peter's life to draw him to faith in, in Christ. And this story shows us that discipleship begins with Jesus reaching out to ordinary people like Peter, people like you and I in the midst of everyday life with the invitation to follow him in faith. And so we're all on a spiritual journey. Maybe you're here this morning and you're at a point where you're considering whether or not you believe Jesus was really the son of God. And you're in the perfect place to consider that question. And so I want to invite you, explore, think critically, ask the hard questions, but I have to give you one point of caution. You need to know that your mind is never going to get you all the way there. The most real tangible and deep and deep knowledge of who jesus is comes only through experiencing him in relationship by faith and that necessarily involves trusting him in the midst of uncertainty so peter prior to this encounter he had an idea of who jesus was but he didn't truly understand him until he encountered him by faith maybe you have a pretty good idea of who jesus is in your own mind but your heart has been closed off to the possibility of him being the living God who is powerful to work in your life. The search for truth can't stay in your mind. You have to take that risk and open your heart. I want to share with you the story of a man named E.V. Rue. E.V. Rue was a well-known translator of the Greek language, and this Englishman translated Homer's Odyssey right around the middle of the 20th century as the first publication of Penguin Classic books. I imagine... In this town, some of you have read more Penguin classics than you care to remember. And Rue was a lifelong agnostic. But at the age of 60, he began a defining project in his career, a translation of the four Gospels. And before he started, one of his sons commented, it will be very interesting to see what father makes of the Gospels. Yet it will be still more interesting to see what the Gospels make of father. So Rue went about his task, and he took the risk I just talked about. And upon finishing his translation, he wrote with classic British understatement, of what I have learnt from these documents and the long course of my task, I will say nothing now, only this, that they bear the seal of the Son of Man and God. They are the Magna Carta of the human spirit. And so Evie Rue opened not just his mind to what the words of the gospel said, he opened his heart to the possibility that what they said was true and that they could transform him in his own life today. He encountered Jesus Christ by faith in the gospels. The good news was now good news for him. And so take that risk. Open your heart to experience God in your life. Discipleship begins with Jesus reaching out to ordinary people like Peter people like you and I in the midst of everyday life with the invitation to follow him in faith. Next, I want to to offer this to you. Jesus' miracle showed Peter that God was his provider and it created in him the posture of humility and dependence he would need to fulfill his call as a disciple. Peter's miraculous catch of fish showed him God's ability and control extends over every single area of life. God has universal authority and jurisdiction. When Peter saw the power of God displayed in the very area that he thought he was the expert, it opened his eyes to see how far-reaching God's power really was. 
And we know that this experience, it impacted Peter in a profound way. It developed in him a posture of humility, literally and figuratively. This man was on his knees. Who was he to be in the presence of God? Who was he to have the power of God poured out over his life to be the recipient of God's favor? Peter was broken and humbled by this experience, and it was very much to his benefit. He needed to understand the bigness of God's holiness and the depth of his own sin in order to grasp how monumental the grace of God really was. And so this experience, it created in Peter an appropriate sense of dependence on God. God was his provider. Just think what could happen if Jesus showed up. What could happen if God chose to act? This is a man who not only brings schools of fish into empty nets, but sight to blind men and life to dead people. The most wise thing Peter could do was admit his need and ask God to show up in power. And so I want to challenge you. Think about that in your own life. What can't happen if God chooses to act? You and I do not know the fullness of God's will. But scripture tells us that through Christ, we can come before the throne of God with boldness. We can bring our request to God in prayer with boldness because anything can happen when God chooses to show up. Peter would go to difficult places as a minister to the gospel. And he would eventually go to his death for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. But even in that moment that Peter was martyred, he knew God's faithfulness. God would not falter. Jesus was his provider. Death was not the end. God had provided for him eternal life and eternal hope in Jesus Christ, his Lord. And that is the promise that we have as followers of Christ today. Last, I want to share with you the story of Peter's calling shows us that disciples of Jesus are created to participate in the mission of God. And it's in participating in God's mission that followers of Jesus fully come alive. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that followers of Jesus Christ are created in him for good works that God has prepared in advance for them to do. And those good works will shake out a little bit differently in each of our lives because God has made us all uniquely as individuals and he gifts us differently with his spirit by his grace. Peter talks about this himself in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so we participate in the mission of God uniquely as individuals. But there's one good work calling that's common to all of us disciples of Jesus Christ. And it is the call to be fishers of men. We are called to make the good news known to the ends of the earth and to all of the people we encounter along the way. And Bloomington, Indiana sure is a central location. And so that involves your coworkers. That involves your neighbors, your teammates. It involves that weird guy you always run into at the farmer's market. They're all included. And you know who he is. Here's the really cool thing. Jesus doesn't need us in order to accomplish his mission. He could get the job done well by himself. But he invites us to participate in that mission because it's in participating in the mission of God that we as his followers fully come alive. We are created to be a part of something with eternal meaning. 
Everyone who is in Christ is the recipient of a holy calling. And that includes you. Peter received a unique call in his life to leave his nets for a life of missionary activity and church ministry. And maybe as you sit here this morning, God is stirring a similar call in your heart. If you sense that call, but you feel inadequate for the task, I want to tell you, God may well be calling you. You are in a perfect place to depend on him, and that's where your strength is going to come from. So don't be afraid. Follow Christ. He will provide. But what is absolutely true for each and every follower of Jesus in here is that God has called us all as ministers of the good news. The only question is, where has he called you to minister in your own life? And God places fishers of men in schools, in hospitals, in stores, in homes, concert halls, on sports fields. The list goes on. Go where God has called you, but don't just do your job. Embrace your call. Like Peter, Jesus has made you a disciple by his grace. His power extends over every single area of your life. So don't be afraid. He'll be your provider. Embrace the challenges before you with confidence because you stand with the full revelation and knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done on your behalf in Christ. He's provided for you in the way you need it most. He will never fail. His grace will be sufficient for you. And so follow him in faith. Be a fisher of men. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. It speaks to our hearts in a powerful way 2,000 years after the events that we see recorded here today. We thank you that your spirit is at work in the world. We thank you that you are the God who is powerful over every area of our lives. Father, we thank you that by your grace, you invite us into relationship with yourself by faith. And I pray that if there's anyone in here who you have been working in their life to draw them to yourself, that this would be a defining moment, that they would come to know the good news of Jesus Christ is good news for them. And I pray that as we walk out of here, that we would all be equipped as people on mission. You invite us into something bigger than ourselves. God, in your mission, we fully come alive. I pray that you would give us humility and dependence on you as we embrace your call in our lives. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our living hope, whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.